This is EM Pulse with your hosts, Sarah Medeiros and Julia Magana. Welcome back to EM Pulse. Last time we heard a rebeat of our episode sold for Chrysler 300, the powerful story of one of our patients who was trafficked and what we can do to identify trafficking in the ED. Now, I am definitely an advocate for targeted screening for high-risk public health issues such as human trafficking because they have a huge impact on my patient's health. But practically, I'm often hesitant to commit to screening in the ED because of time, resources, and frankly, the lack of validated screening tools. So in the last Rebeat, we discussed an early approach to targeted screening for human trafficking in the ED. But where are we now? Are there any updated screening options that address my concerns? Julia, as our resident (laughs) expert, tell me what's new. Uh, Well, I would say the great news is that there are several new options out there that are validated. It has been a hot topic in research for sure. First off is the RAF tool. It's probably the best one out there for the emergency department. RAFT stands for Rapid Assessment for Trafficking, which is what we need in the emergency department, right? Yeah. <laughs> Dr. McKinney Chisholm Straker and her team created a four-question survey and then validated it in the emergency department. It was published in the Journal of American College of Emergency Physicians Open in 2021 and is titled Validation of a Screening Tool for Labor and Sex Trafficking Among Emergency Department Patients. You can see a link to that in our show notes. Okay, cool. Tell me about the study. They randomly interviewed over 4,000 adults, so over 18, in five emergency departments in New York City and one in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. They excluded patients who were not able to consent, who could not be interviewed alone, which, as we know, is important in human trafficking, and those who were disposed in the emergency department in the middle of the night. They approached individuals randomly using the industry standard form TIVIT, or Trafficking Victims Identification Tool. But Sarah, this tool takes 30 to 60 minutes to ask all of the questions, right? Like not feasible for the emergency department. And then they used the raft questions, which is a four-question tool, and they compared with the final diagnosis or identification of labor or sex trafficking. Now, the raft tool only takes a few minutes to ask these questions, and the questions are, it is not uncommon for people to stay in work situations that are risky or even dangerous simply because they have no other options. Have you ever worked or done other things in a place that made you feel scared or unsafe? In thinking back over your past experience, have you ever been tricked or forced into doing any kind of work that you did not want to do? Sometimes people are prevented from leaving an unfair or unsafe work situation by their employers. Have you ever been afraid to leave or quit a work situation due to fears of violence or threats or harms to yourself or your family? Have you ever received anything in exchange for sex, for example, a place to stay, gifts, or food? So, I mean, those are four fairly basic, kind of long-winded questions, but I think ones that we could integrate pretty easily. Yeah, I like the idea of four questions. Much easier to use than a 30 to 60-minute screening tool. And I also like the way that they put those questions in a very approachable kind of... Into context. Right, exactly. Why am I asking these questions of you, not coming out of the blue, out of nowhere? I think that's a really important part of screening for some of these challenging topics, right? So they found a lifetime prevalence of 1.1% in New York City. And lifetime prevalence, Sarah, just means like they've ever had 
an experience with trafficking. Okay, it doesn't mean that they're currently in it right now. And they found 36 cases total in New York City. And of that, this is the crazy part, Sarah, 20 were labor and 16 were sex trafficking. That kind of blew my mind. And I'll talk about that a little bit more in a second. They also only found three of them that were currently in it and one that had recently left the life. So that's 0.09% prevalence. It's pretty rare. It was a rare finding, right, to actually find somebody who was actively in the life or actively being trafficked at that time. I think some of the things that I liked about this study is that they looked at both males and females. And I think we traditionally think about females when we think about human trafficking. So I loved that they expanded to all comers. They also did not use language as a barrier. They only excluded if they were not able to consent or if they came in at the middle of the night. And it was made for the emergency department and is super easy to use. I also really like that they're specifically asking about labor, which I personally struggle with and I think a lot of the other studies left out. I was surprised at how few were actively involved in human trafficking at the time of screening. You know, in New York City, it was only 0.09% were actively involved or exiting. And while this is a great tool, I think it begs the argument, should I screen everyone who walks through the door for something that has such an incredibly low prevalence when I am responsible for so many, many different things? I think my take remains the same, Sarah. No, I should not use my resources to indiscriminately screen everyone. It's just not effective. While it can make a big impact in an individual's life, this is a really big ask to integrate into the emergency department. I think the next step to study is to do a study like this, but that identifies high-risk populations in the emergency department and then screens them with these types of questions. That would be my approach. I think the RAF demonstrated good sensitivity compared with the existing resources. It's a good reference tool. And I think the RAF may enhance the detection of human trafficking in the emergency departments. We just have to ask ourselves, is that really low prevalence worth the effort that would go into it? Now, they validated the study in Dallas-Fort Worth. Can you tell us a little bit about those numbers? Yeah, that's a good point. And that's the strength of this study, right, is they derived it, looked at it in New York City, and then validated it in Fort Worth. So that's helpful. They also found similar types of data, that it was a lifetime prevalence of 1.4 percent, eight relayer for sex trafficking. So I think it just shows that this works in different settings but it's not a super high prevalence of an issue. If you're going to screen, though, this is definitely the best tool out there. So this study was done on people who were 18 years or older, right? Yes. What about the kids? Not my population. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's also an interesting piece that's now been further studied and looked at. In the emergency department, we've had a validation of six questions for a while. They're just kind of like all comers, These are questions that you can ask that put them at high risk. And then they said, "Okay, what are some higher risk chief complaints, which I like that approach personally. You know, if somebody comes in with a chief complaint of STIs or trauma or abuse or concern for sexual assault or sexual questions, those types of chief complaints are higher risk. And they're like, "Okay, who should we ask? But this particular study in pediatrics was published in 2021. It's called the Confidential Screening for Sex Trafficking Among Minors in a Pediatric Emergency Department. It was at a large pediatric emergency department. Okay, so again, how do you interpret this is a little bit of a harder piece because that's the setting. They enrolled 212 English and Spanish speaking patients from the age of 12 to 17 years of age presenting to this large pediatric emergency department with those high risk chief complaints. 
They were enrolled prospectively over 13 months, and the subjects completed uh, the previously validated six-item screening tool on an electronic tablet. Now, these questions were, have you ever been knocked unconscious? Some kids have a hard time living in a home and feel that they need to run away. Have you ever had to run away from home? Kids often use drugs or drink alcohol, and different kids use different drugs. Have you ever used drugs or alcohol in the last 12 months? Sometimes kids have been involved with the police, maybe for running away, for breaking curfew, or for shoplifting. There can be lots of different reasons. Have you ever had any problems with the police? Have you ever had sex of any type? How many sexual partners have you had, if so? Have you ever had a sexually transmitted disease, or STD, like herpes, or gonorrhea, or chlamydia, or trichomonas? So I like this study because, like you said, it is a little bit of a more targeted approach where they're using these chief complaints to identify kids who might be at risk. What did this study find? So interestingly, they analyzed 212 patients. Of those, 26 patients were found to be sex trafficked. But the study, the questions only identified 22 of those patients for trafficking, and another four out of those 26 were deemed trafficked by a clinical social worker. So the questions are obviously not perfect, but they're a good place to start. So that gives a sensitivity and specificity of answering two or more questions yes on this electronic screening tool, 84% sensitivity and 53% specificity, respectively and a positive predictive value of only 20%, but a negative predictive value of 96%. So if you do not answer yes to two or more questions, it's a pretty decent chance that you are not being trafficked. To me, these questions are still very oblique, and my personal approach is a little bit more focused, mostly because I don't really have time to ask six questions um, of everybody that walked through the door for the purpose of human trafficking. So I'm a little bit more focused in my approach. And for that reason, I like the questions in the QUIT or Q-Y-I-T. This is a new validated human trafficking screening tool for runaway and homeless youth. And this was also created by Dr. McKinney Chisholm Straker. And it's published in Children and Youth Services Review in 2019 and is titled Screening for Human Trafficking Among Homeless Young Adults. Now, these questions are, it is not uncommon for young people to stay in work situations that are risky or even dangerous simply because they have no other options. Have you ever worked or done other things in a place that made you feel scared or unsafe? Sometimes people are prevented from leaving an unfair or unsafe work situation by their employees. Have you ever been afraid to leave or quit a work situation due to fears of violence or threats of harm for yourself or your family? Sometimes young people who are homeless or have difficulties with their families have very few options to survive or fulfill their basic needs, such as food and shelter. Have you ever received anything in exchange for sex, like, for example, a place to stay, gifts, or food? Sometimes employers don't want people to know about the kind of work they have young employees doing. To protect themselves, they ask their employees to lie about the kind of work they're involved in. Have you ever worked for someone who asked you to lie while speaking to others about the work you do? So, I mean, Sarah, I like these questions because they have more of a labor focus and they're for my young adult population, but it's not specifically for the emergency department and it's not specifically for kids that are in that 12 to 16 range that I like, but it's closer and I feel like it's slightly more targeted. 
Yeah, that's important, too, because I think we do think about the sex trafficking piece of this more than the labor trafficking. And it's important to be able to catch those individuals as well. So where can people go for these resources or other resources if they want to improve their own ED screenings? So, Sarah, we said this in the last episode, healtrafficking.org is great. And I think it still stands true. (laughs) Like, that's where I would go to and that's where I do go to for continuing education, keeping up to date on resources. We created a policy at UC Davis since we last published, and um, we use their policy as the basis for our own policy at UC Davis. And they have a listserv that you can join that kind of keeps this in your feed, right? So to speak, it keeps you thinking about these topics. And I really appreciate the work that they're doing. Well, Jules, I really appreciate all the work that you are doing. And I appreciate the update that you've given us today. I've got some new stuff to think about, some new tools to use. And it is always good to bring this back into my practice. 